Hello, this is the Lunar Poetry Podcast. My name is David Turner. I'm back from Norway. I'm feeling a little bit under the weather, so my voice might be a bit croaky, but um, it's only for this intro. Everything else is previously recorded. So Today's episode is an hour of poetry, which I was asked to organise by the poet Tim Wells for his annual summer poetry all day, which takes place each year at the Betsy Trotwood pub on Farringdon Road in central London. And if you haven't been to one of them before, you should definitely try to get along. They're, they're good fun. You can find Tim Wells at his Stand Up and Spit blog. Or alternatively, he's at, at Timmy Smells on uh, Twitter. So you can find information about... He does a Christmas all day and a summer one. I invited six poets down. Uh, all to do ten minutes each. Um, some of them are involved with Luna. And a couple of them were just... Uh, people that I wanted to hear again and put out again it's this was the first recording I did with um, the new recording equipment I bought with the funding from the Arts Council so the sound quality is not but it's better than I did before but it's still not the best um, I'm, I think I'm working those issues out now so in the future it's going to be better it kicks off with Paul McMenemy who is the editor of Lunar Poetry magazine followed by Michelle Madsen who's a fantastic poet and host some of the shorter episodes that we do. Michelle's followed by Kadeem Beresford-James, then it's uh, regular co-host Lizzie Palmer, after her it's Donald Chegwin, and then to finish it off, unfortunately, it is me uh, making a rare poetry reading appearance on the podcast. I apologise in advance. Uh, Just as a word of warning, this as I said, it's recorded in the Betsy Trotwood, which is a pub, and it was full of adults, and there's quite a bit of swearing in this recording. So if you don't like that kind of thing, it's pretty impossible to avoid in this episode. Um, I'll put in the description the times that everyone starts at. If you haven't got enough time to listen to the whole thing, you just want to skip forward to any uh, any of the individual poets. Oh, and a word of warning. Both Paul McMenemy and Donald Chegwin are very, very loud in this recording, so um, if you've got headphones on, you might just want to knock the volume down a touch before they start. And as always, you can find us at Lunar Poetry Podcast on Facebook, Tumblr and SoundCloud. And on Twitter we are silent underscore tongue. Enjoy the nonsense. Okay, coming up next, we have several poets from Lunar Poetry, so to introduce that, Mr. Dayton. Hello. So I'm here as uh, the founder and editor of Lunar Poetry Podcast, which you can find on YouTube at the moment. Um, But I've got some money, so we're going to have a website and stuff. There are a lot of people in this room that have taken part. I was going to try and think of something to say, but I can't be asked. So up next is the re- well, one of the reasons, so you can sort of blame him for this nonsense, uh, the editor of Lunar Poetry magazine, Paul McMenemy, who uh, you know, is to blame for me doing this. <laughs> Thanks. 
Mind the closing doors. Your kindness is not kindness. The running man is lost, is gone, is memory already. He will not get the job, the girl, the new life in the country. And you, you will never be a CEO. <laughs> for some reason, Transport for London didn't go with that. <laughs> They're lost. <laughs> it's not going to work on the podcast, is it, David? I'm so happy you've got a visual gag on the podcast. <laughs> How the conversation didn't go. He says... His daughter is thinking about going to university. He says he hopes she doesn't. I say something about the duty imperative upon the proletariat to educate itself. He says, can't you read? I do not say I could have read every large print western in Fort William Public Library and still got no further than Safeways than the Fish Factory and selling CU Jimmy hats to tourists than watching ship pub bands and ship pub lounges playing Mustang fucking Sally for the hundredth fucking time than getting a black eye in sleety cobbles than walking home through the black parks to the green bridge where Lee McFall hung himself on his 18th birthday than driving drunk the unlit one-track roads where Alan Boyd crushed his souped-up Nova and himself than arriving at the council house where my mother dies slow death by disappointment as the house rots round her rot and the whole town rots around them because small towns will straight up murder you, you London cunt. The world did not come to me, you London cunt. Because then I would have to say, I'm in London now. My parents grow old anyway, and my friends are all unhappy, and the city is spent bathwater slow circling, and my hometown is a tide mark. And I am drinking beer I can't afford, and talking to an old man who despises me about, of all things, politics. <laughs> This next one is called Rachel Johnson, which was the um, name of a woman who died aged 93 a few months ago. She had been the last surviving person to have been born and brought up on St Kilda. The article in which I read about this didn't get around to mentioning her name until about three or four paragraphs in, so this poem is called Rachel Johnson. A little girl leaves an island in another century. An old woman dies as old women do. But did she remember the sea taste of gull's eggs, the earth taste of peat smoke? And why do you want to know? Eighty years in the beer gut of Glasgow, Rachel Johnson lived. Rachel Johnson did things. 
The death you are mourning was long ago. The death you are mourning was long and slow. Messages in bottles buoyed by sheep's bladders. We are starving, we are dying, these islands are dying. Three months a year when the boats could put in. We are drifting, we are drowning, we are alone on the ocean. Messages from the mainland, a nurse, oatmeal. We are starving, we are dying, these islands are dying. And the wind in the sea, and the wind in the sea. We are drifting, we are drowning, we are alone on the ocean. We are drifting, we are drowning, we are alone on the ocean. We love those papers that you get for free. Although we're sure that you'll agree, love very quickly turns to hate when they walk the doors and make us late. They have exclamation marks for eyes and don't like poetry. They have Exclamation marks for eyes and never stand up for pregnant women. They have exclamation marks for eyes and the music's too loud. They have exclamation marks for eyes and the food smells. They have exclamation marks for eyes and they're always getting sick in the tube. They have exclamation marks for eyes and they leave their standards at their arse. We love those papers that you get for free, but we're sure that you'll agree love very quickly turns to hate when they lock the doors and make us late. <laughs> love is a strong word. Mindlessly grasp at illusory release from unsanitary intimacy, scans less well, those Papers are full of nothing. Those posters are full of nothing. We, the people, are full of something. We, the people, smooshed onto tube trains like the corns and corned beef. We, the people who are sometimes considerate and sometimes inconsiderate. We, the people whose food smells and we smell, who get sick, who leave evidences of ourselves everywhere we go. We, the people who do not have exclamation marks for eyes. We love those post-papers that you get for free, but we're sure that you'll agree love very quickly turns to hate when they block the doors and make us late. We love those papers that you get for free, but we're sure that you'll agree love very quickly turns to hate when they block the doors and make us like, we love those papers that you get from free, but we're sure that you'll agree love very quickly turns to hate when they block the doors and make us late. We love other people with exclamation marks for lies. Do not.
about it because I'll have to explain. <laughs> um, Paul's pain is my favourite pain to laugh at. <laughs> um, next up is, uh, so we started doing the podcast, they were all long-form conversations of an hour to an hour and a half long. Then just, it became clear there were too many people we wanted to talk to, but not overload too much information. The first person to appear on one of the shorts is the next reader, and we had a really nice conversation on her houseboat, and she's since uh, interviewed people in Havana and in Lagos, and uh, I cannot believe that someone would ruin their holidays for this project, but it's amazing. Um, <laughs> Michelle Madsen. Hello, Betsy. Couple of people. Um, so that wasn't a holiday. So for tax purposes, that's completely work. Thank you very much. Luna Poetry is saving my skin. Don't say anything about it. Um, yeah, so I, I went and I've done a lot of Luna Poetry podcasts. I think it's brilliant. If you haven't listened to them, um, you can basically have an adventure across um, the UK and uh, various different bits of the world and listen to lots of poets talk about anything, really, like how they work and what they had for dinner and stuff like that. It's great. Um, I haven't written anything about the trips to uh, those strange places because it's more interesting to hear all about the bizarre banker poet of Lagos who's created the world's first ever reality TV show for poets. I kid you not, it's happening right now. Uh, it's slightly terrifying, um, but check them out. It's great. Um, and I had to spend an entire, well, about three or four days running around Havana going, where are the poets? Because there's no internet and the poets are very well hidden. Um, and I had found them in the union uh, using the government sanctioned computer which could monitor their words, um, which is nice. But this is completely about something completely different. Um, it's about drinking in a pub in Allgate. We are Friday night city drinkers, drinking in the city on a Friday night. Two women, looser around the edges than expected, less tailoring and zips, but rigour of another sort, we think. Designing their lives, sometimes to their own taste, in the hoop and grapes, sitting on the grey roundabouts at the edge of the city. Neither here nor there they are, in short shorts and uncombed hair, possibly more than the sum of their parts. Into their conversation, a man walks uninvited, asks questions designed to surprise, and we answer. So what do you do? We're poets, one says, and he stands looking stumped. There's no one true or genuine here, he says. I came from Ireland after a love ended, brought the kids, single dad me, stereotype me, a man, that's what I am, an Irish man, working in the fraud department of RBS. Ha, and yes, they do need me, need me not that they listen to stereotype me. One of us has had a child, knows what it is to tire and marvel and tire at a body-crafted new life. The other has been in this city and knows what it is to exist in disguise, in a suit, watching the world, shouting to too many phones, itching for the weekend to step out of uniform. The man's eyes glaze over as the two women talk to each other, as they are planned to do, and kind of try to include him, but performance over, he drifts off promising to deliver drinks to friends sitting on the benches outside. We keep talking. Hopes and love, an endless need for strangers, and the endless need of strangeness, and an endless need. Ask each other what to do if you hold someone, someone else's heart in your hands. Is it easier to break it or break your own? 
time's called before we finish. So we walk out into the night and the end of ice cubes, melting straws, paling lemon slices remain. Thank you. Uh, so has anyone ever gone drinking in the Hoop and Graves? It's this kind of like little pub. I knew you'd say yes, Tim. So a little pub that's kind of like in... It looks quite cosy and lovely, and it is just one of these kind of like old-looking pubs in the middle of massive, massive sort of glass buildings. Um, and just a really odd mixture of people. Like loads of people on the weekend are just sort of going like, whoa, pub crawl. And then there are loads of just very grey um, city people who drink a lot. Um, I don't know how we ended up there, but we did. And so last autumn, do you remember how... Um, well, last winter didn't really seem to happen. It took ages and ages and ages. Do you remember, like, it was just sort of... It wasn't cold, it wasn't hot, it wasn't sunny, it wasn't wet. It was just sort of like perma-grey for <laughs> absolutely ages. And I, was just, I remember just walking through uh, Victoria Park going, like, is this, is this it? I mean, are we just in a permanent state of no season? This is really, like, weird and rubbish. And there are a few different things were happening at the time. Um, so I wrote this. When did you last see the leaves turn? Watch green leech yellow in the wind. Have you looked for life in the ghosts of the past? The seasons change. Sometimes we don't see it. The deserts bloom, glaciers melt or freeze, and the earth turns. Regardless. And regardless, the earth turns, blind to the tar grubbing its lungs, or apes switching tools for limbs, also busy with the business of eliminating. I watch the leaves crisp. Their veins burst at exhaustion and they hurtle to an end. One day, our empathy will flow easily for trees. We'll lay memorials to the massacres on the path, the little plastic candles keeping vigil till batteries die illuminating notes of condolence pinned to melting bodies. After the leaves go, we'll quiz the bare branches, asking how they will cover their nakedness. They are empty now, and regardless, the world turns. When will it be spring again, we wonder? But you see, we bomb the trees, and their sap stains the streets. They hid our enemies, it's claimed, nameless, faceless. And glued to screens, we wonder how this came to be as the cold metal kisses the needles of the Christmas tree, tickles Hope's frozen toes. I heard that the escapees asked for lessons from Houdini, how to unpick a lock, hold your breath underwater, disappear. I heard they got lace underwear, well-meaning thongs, the odd sock. We all hear the others coming now, precision whining tip for an unknown target, Eyeless travellers blast through borders. We never ask for them to fall, but let them. They don't knock. Thank you. And that's really gloomy. Um, but it's, uh, the world's a strange place at the moment. But this is a poem about a strange place in the world. Um, and it's, I, I love uh, hating it quite a lot. Um, has anyone ever been to Dubai? And this is a good poetry crowd. Quite often people are like, what? Where is that? I don't know. Um, I, I basically got a completely bonkers job working at um, Time Out being like a food critic in Dubai when I was about like 23. And I literally I was like, I literally don't know how to hold a pen. And I've 
really have no idea what you're doing giving me this job, but I, okay, I'll do it, I'll go and do it. Um, and it's a really, really strange place. It's like a tiny, it's a city, and it's a tiny city, but it's like a, some, it's like a city with very small man syndrome complex. It's like, I'm going to have loads of enormous fallacies everywhere. <laughs> it's all about me. Um, and um, uh, and it's like a completely crazy marketplace. You can buy and sell anything in Dubai. Um, and especially if you go to the online marketplace, Dubizzle. Um, Dubizzle. And um, I'm, I've, I've had a group of friends who just also reveled in finding Dubai very weird. And um, one of them found this advert on Dubizzle. Um, and this is, this is the advert, word for word. I like a poem written for my girlfriend, Maria. I want a simple poem, no big fancy words. <laughs> Do not use the type of words like thou, or thee, or etc. <laughs> no, I want a written believable poem that she thinks I wrote it, around 10 dozen sentences or so. I don't want a long poem or a full page. 10 dozen sentences is a lot. <laughs> I want a short poem, about 10 dozen short sentences. There's lots of capitals in this. <laughs> Poem about love and spend more time together. Parenthesis. It is a struggle for us to spend time together. Wonder why. <laughs> in your writing, include how much I love you, how much I love your smell, how much more I want to be with you, how lonely I am without you, how much. I miss your smell. Oh, I wish I were that we hang around more often so we can blossom even more. I want to care for you. Make these points in your poem. <laughs> I wrote seven responses. I'm only going to give you one. It's not fair. And you can guess whether we got anything back. Maria! <laughs> Maria! I want to see you. Don't stay awake and frighten my day. Maria, Maria, my Jerry Garcia. Far, far less weird and lacking a bit. <laughs> Maria, Maria, let's go to Ikea. I'll buy you a table as long as I'm able. Maria, Maria, you're like a tortilla. So hot and fine and smelling divine. Maria, Maria, let's go to Korea. <laughs> and there we will wed and head up to bed. Maria, you slag. <laughs> Colostomy bags, <laughs> grey hair and piss stains await you from here. Maria, Maria, I've got an idea, a cracking one too, and that is a fact. Maria, Maria, such lovers we are, pale and sincere in our suicide pact. <laughs> Thanks very much. <laughs> really shouty poets, probably not the best data testing equipment, is it? <laughs> and uh, the best bit about Paul ending his set in that way is seeing him sneak in afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Michelle, that was really good. Um, next is a person that I really like, their poetry. But I mainly like to see if the mic stand extends high enough. Uh, it's Kadeem with Beres with James. The mic stand is never high enough. <laughs> I, I, I fuck around with mic stands too often, so I'm not going to bother with this one. I've, I've not read anywhere in a very, very long time. 
That's fine. I can, I can project. I'm all right. Deadly and gorgeous. Instruments that don't need quick fingers. Ideas never noted that always linger. Hyperbolic emotions and stifled voices. Oceans of madness and poorly made choices. Minds made by mine must be deadly and gorgeous. Hopes turn to rust by insidious forces. Hate with no malice, love with no kiss. Feet without ankles and hands without wrists. The darkness awaits, ink mixed with coffee, and sunrise approaches with no one to stop me. Thank you. I, I wanted to read that one because this, that, that poem is about writing and I haven't written anything in a really, really long time. Um, so I felt like I should, I, I want to get back into it. So I felt like I should write that one, kind of kick myself forward a bit. Contradictions. I'm wearing a hood and my eyes are glittering. The world is reflective marble glistening. I am moneyed and loved and have fun. I'm wearing a hood and my eyes are glittering. These sound waves are low, even though I feel like I'm floating. I don't know why I've chosen sad songs today. I don't know why I'm wearing a hood, but my eyes are glittering. The man turns green without me waiting, and the cold winds stop when I start shaking. I've still got my hood, and the songs are still sad, and the world is still glistening like my eyes are glittering. But somewhere in the glitter there are splotches of crimson, where children drag saw blades over bars made of silver, and cages made of twigs on islands of whiskers. And the playlist ends. My eyes are still glittering. Have you ever had that where you're, you're in quite a good mood but you're still listening to depressing shit? Like, yeah, yeah. I don't know, like, um, m most, most often for me, I start listening to Linkin Park like when I was in college and just like, oh man, I'm in such a good mood right now but I don't know why I can't listen to songs that actually make me happy. Like, it, I, I don't feel like going raving but I'm, I'm gonna sit in a corner at home and have a cigarette, listen to some Linkin Park. This one's called Deterioration. I am just a man who wants revenge, and I confess. I am full of rage and sin, locked inside this cage again, where evil reigns and people like to win. It may seem sweet, but we won't like the end, so we shine brightly from the light within. I am a man who wants revenge, I confess. I am full of rage and sin, locked inside this cage where evil reigns, people like to win. It may seem sweet, but we won't like the end. We shine from the light within. I am revenge, I confess. I am full of rage, locked inside this cage. Evil people like to win. We won't like the end, the light within. Revenge, rage, locked cage. Evil won't like the light. I actually kind of feel like I should shout that one. I'm not going to shout that one. And this is the newest one I wrote. 
Yeah. So it's it's untested. You're, you're, this is like the, this is like the virgin reading of this one. I've not read this anywhere else. This is l lunar poetry all day. I think the jig exclusive. <laughs> it's called Message Read, No Reply. I was on Facebook at the time. Saying things makes them real. As real as the tears from an angry tackle. As real as the high from drugs and darkness. As real as the burn from waterlogged lungs. The violation of another's hand in your pocket. The fear of an empty bed past sundown. The dread of aging as so many said you would. So when I don't speak, it's because I don't want my thoughts to leave before I decide what I want to make real and what should remain not. Thank you, Kadeem. Um, the next reader is uh, not only host of a lot of the short um, episodes, also has this kind of job at home where she stops me throwing my iPad out the window when it freezes and stuff, so hopefully she can guard this new equipment uh, as much bigger, because uh, yeah, I might want to kick it over something. Um, it's the Mrs. Lizzie Palmer. to be reading here today so thanks Tim for having us. Um, I also quickly wanted to say thank you to two of my bestest friends in the whole wide world, the lovely David Turner and formidably talented Paul McMenemy um, for everything that they've been doing. Formidably grumpy. <laughs> Very grumpy, doesn't um, Yeah, uh, they've both done a lot of hard work in the last couple of years and deserve all the praise in the world for it. It's not always a pleasurable experience for either of them, so uh, thank you also for meaning, making it mean that I'm not bored all the time, for giving me lots of things to do. Anyway, on to me. I'm going to tell you how I feel. Uh, I'll give you all my classic themes. I've got a few about the act of a man and a lady writing each other love poems, a few about mental illness, and then a few about shit getting better. Um, this is called Sad Poems. Even when we're happy, let's write each other sad poems. Dye bright papers with the blackest ink, hang our little wreaths onto lovely words and lay them like lilies upon our flourishing love. Because we have known sadness in order to know love, let's keep the darkness in mind so we can look out into the light. Because the plaintive howl is louder than the sigh and the minor notes give way to the major. Let's write in terms of longing and fear of loss, because we have nearly known death, and death lets us remember how to live. So in order to acknowledge the living, thriving joy which holds up my every thought and action toward you, I'll leave a little death nestled at the bottom of the poems. Thank you. Christchurch. You give me a description of my skin as holy stone. Such sacred images emerge in bright relief from far within, 
the blocks piled up around where your heart is and strike me down as only gods can do. And in the shadow of the looming spires of your gift, the world shifts unsteadily. My skin is swallowed over by desires, by hallowed fires set down so readily by martyr hands, anticipating you. Thank you. Your verses are effigies of me, each thought pushed firm and smoothly in throughout and keen as plunged pins, not one unintended for the core. Raw, immaculate and unforgiving, each strikes a real bit of me, and not only the heart, but places more surprisingly tender and immediate. Gut riven, knees, ankles, hands tingling to cramp, tongue ribboned, Snapped clavicle driven through clean, popped rib, 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 to the intimate tune of my blissful punctured heart. And it is in this way that I feel, lurching to life in your acute images, for I have not done enough raw living myself, for the pain more intense in its stainlessness, more holy for its solemnity, and which spears me all the same. Yes. I am ready soft stuffing for your pins. Thank you. Uh, this one was originally written along the lunar theme. Um, I found that the feelings of fear, anxiety and awe that I have when it comes to thinking about space and the universe and things like that, which I don't think about very often, but when I do it makes me feel weird. Um, they're similar to feelings, similar feelings to those of being in love for me, and this is about that. The drift and run of the temper, the pulsing currents of fervor, its bubbling rush and its gargling ebb, as commanded by that necessary pull. The flood and the starvation in its draining, the flood and the relief of the decrescendo, all within the binary link between a parallel two. The welcome giddiness in the waltz, the grateful recognition of the necessity, the imagining of what be would become of things without it, the fear of plunging out of the synchronous rotation, of dropping silently off the curve and wheeling into nothing. Thank you. This is called Waiting for the Thing to Lift. It's like the weird pink in a painting of Nordic dusk, which to anyone would look like daylight, but because of you, I know it is the night. There is so much stillness in something held down in an image. The weight of distress is not always clear. Like the presence of disorder, how do we determine how far things are from their regular arrangement? A door, a bed, a smile, a door, a bed, a raw iron glare. I know something is disconnected, but where to begin with the context? And it can't really be that it's us, because this is a weight which straddles us both, though the connection of two places by a bridge relies solely on the bridge, and what is the bridge in this instance but a thing we are holding up at opposite ends? I leave you to sleep, and I go for a walk. I'm willing the world to be quiet for you, but no one seems to have realised what is going on, so I just walk and hold the rhythm of my steps, hoping what goes down 
must come up. What goes down must come up. What goes down must come up. Thank you. Now for the happy ones. So after all, things can be bettered. Like the writing of love letters with stamps intended for suicide notes, the gradual replacement of the mournful old poems you wrote and the rewriting of all your sadder mistakes. And, of course, the making of mosaics from the handfuls of split glass which have been recurring in those visions of ours. An ache in the legs and feet from walking and walking and walking when there is someone to meet turns something more like the sensation of hard work well done. Better ground covered always by two than ever by one. I've been seeing streets and rivers creating stories from the emptiness of something duller. Seen black clouds of birds transform from omen to a spectacle of colour, and I've been having dreams with better endings than beginnings. Thank you. I had been hoping that these things, skies hungry for cloudscapes, empty streets and eternal walking, broken glass, heart-aching poems and finding excuses for talking, and the act to which I keep returning that of writing a letter, would eventually come to fit the meaning of something better. Thank you. This is my final one. Thanks for having me. I want to make portraits of you from the feet up and sculpt your hands from alabaster. I want to tell you that your neck is so beautiful it reminds me of Russian ballet dancers and that your face is the one I pictured when, as a child, I read the Saki story about the strange, hungry, exotic boy in the woods. I want to list your parts solely in terms of artistic movements, writing peaceful manifestos for each one. I want to write you innumerable list poems, each of them more than a third too long, then flesh them out in permanent marker over every bit of unclaimed wall space in London, over every bit of you directly. I want you to wear my badges of dishonour. I want to speak of how the immense weight of your sadness would surely lie like feathers on the plinth of my regard, of how I've been listening to the glittering chaotic turbulence of the workings of your inner universe with cupped hands pressed up against your poems of how I've been dreaming darkly. I want to get all of these ideas out urgently before I find time to confine them to metre. I want to tell you all the things I think before I sabotage myself once again. I want to seize every one of your generously offered opportunities. I want to catch up to you, to overtake you, and like Joni Mitchell said, I want to knit you a sweater. I want to write you a love letter. I want to make you feel better. I want to stop reading from the page. I want to stop raging silently. I want to be half as brave as you are. I want to give you everything you deserve. I want to give you everything. I want to tell you, to tell you it feels like everything I've ever lost come back to me. And I want to make you believe me. Thanks very much. Next reader, is, I don't think I've seen him since we did the last podcast and interviewed him, but um, he's got the best poem I've ever heard about Braun, so it's Donald Chegwin, here you go.
Okay, I'm going to start with a love letter of sorts to my hometown of Maidstone, and this poem is called The Funeral. <laughs> Underneath the crunch of autumn leaf it lies, the old dead badger. I stumble across a decrepit creature near the leisure centre in Moat Park. At first I mistake the badger's proud snout for a Murray mint and attempt to place it in my mouth. <laughs> but this is no Murray mint. It's an old dead badger. I swaddle the old dead badger in my imitation mulberry silk scarf and take it back to the cracked concrete boulevards of Maidstone Town. Behold the old dead badger in my arms, my fellow Maidstonians. Behold the most majestic of beasts. I stand atop a crate in Lock Meadow Market and ask my fellow Maidstonians to dig deep, to donate generously, so that we can give an old dead badger a burial worthy of an old dead badger. Not a single Maidstonian digs deep. Not a single Maidstonian donates. I barge my way into the mayor of Maidstone's jewel-encrusted palace. The mayor listens to my request for public funds with a mock sympathetic ear before having me ejected from the building by security. I say it to you now, friends, the mayor of Maidstone is a fool. <laughs> I meet with the manager of Nat West on Maidstone High Street. She rejects my request for a low interest loan to bury a noble majestic old dead badger and has me ejected from the building by security. I say it to you now, friends. The manager of that West on Maidstone High Street is a fool. I need funds. My options are limited. I steal from my parents. I steal from other people's parents. I steal from schools and from hospitals and from care homes and from underneath beds and from charity tin boxes and from the homeless and from the broken. I need funds. My options are limited. I use the purloin money to craft the coffin of 24 karat gold and parade through the ungrateful streets of Maystone Town with the old dead badger atop my shoulder. The procession is small but passionate. Very passionate. A man dressed as a policeman tries to arrest me, but I have covered myself with sunflower oil and he can't get a grip. <laughs> I dump the coffin with the old dead badger in the River Medway and return to work. <laughs> old dead badger, rest in peace. This next one is a poem about my favourite museum in the world, and it's called Use Your Hands. The first time anyone eats a stuffed owl, it's not pretty. <laughs> owl, owl skin sticks to your gullet. Clay and feathers feel like intruders in your throat. And the copper wire, the copper wire is impossible to digest. It scratches at your intestines. But by the time you're on your second, your third, your fourth stuffed owl, you adapt, you adjust. Then, when you find yourself in the Owl Museum after midnight, you know what to do. <laughs> the Owl Museum doesn't have knives and forks, so use your hands. 
Okay, this next one. <laughs> this, this next, I'm, actually, I'm actually a very romantic person. Um, one of the most romantic people I know. And this poem is uh, a lot, one of my love poems, and it's called Memento. You say that it's over. But how can it be over when I still have the breadcrumb from your toothbrush wrapped in a tissue? This last poem is a, this last poem is a drinking poem, um, and it's called The Reduction. It's a drink I created myself. When people drink the drink, people shrink. They drink, they drunk, they shrink, they shrunk. I give my boss a gift, a drink. He looks at me suspiciously. Why are you giving me a drink, Chagwin? He asks. Because I love and respect you, I say. He shrugs. He puts a drink to his lips and sips. He drinks. He's drunk. He drinks. He's drunk. He's the size of an ant. Should I squash him? Yes. I squash him. <laughs> I head into town and run into Kingsley Calvino Brown, a rumour monger, a fantasist, a falsifier. What you holding here, old pal? He asks, buying the bottle in my hand. A fine wine for my family vineyard, I say affably. Try some. <laughs> Kingsley Calvino Brown sniffs at the bottle, leers at me, gulps it down greedily. He drinks. He's drunk. He shrinks. He's drunk. He's the size of a ladybird. Should I squash him? Yes. I squash him. <laughs> After eating a tuna sandwich, I attend a party rally and hand out drinks to frenzied politicians. They drink and they shrink. Should I squash them? Yes. I squash them. <laughs> As I leave, I spot the city mayor tangled up in a cobweb. He's the size of a pea. He whispers witticisms to me in a tiny voice. I can't make out the words. Should I squash them? I put him in my pocket, and I take him home, and I place him in a jar with a wasp. <laughs> I deliver drinks to the doors of my other enemies. Three hours later, I travel to their homes with a magnifying glass, and I find them, and I squash them. I shrink the friends and supporters of my enemies, and I squash them. I shrink the wives of my enemies, and I squash them. I shrink the children of my enemies, and I squash them. I squash them, I squash them. I get bored of shrinking my enemies, so I shrink people I don't know and I squash them. I squash them, I squash them. I shrink my brother. Edward, my brother. Edward, he's my brother. We used to play together, so I let him slip away. It takes him eight weeks to walk back to his flat. <laughs> Once he's back at his flat, I squash him. <laughs> I hoover the cracks between floorboards. I don't accept food or drink. I don't talk to anyone, I don't sleep. I keep a fly swatter close at hand, I keep ant powder close at hand, the city collapses, I'm unsquashable. Thanks for listening, cheers. <laughs> narcissistic host might uh, not put themselves on after that. I've got one poem and then we're finished. I just wanted to say thank you to Emily Harrison, Martin Pettit, Mind the Foxtrot, Misty Kadeen. 
Donald, Paul, Chip, Lewis, Lizzie, Cheryl, Tim, they've all, Michelle, they've all been on the podcast, haven't they? Go and listen to them. Um, I used to work as an art technician, and if you went to Take Britain between 2002 and 2005, you'd be looking at work through cabinets that I made, um, and I'm not boasting. It's a shit job. <laughs> it's all painted MDF. It's awful stuff. And I'm an artisan, you know? <laughs> this is based on like the, the shit you used to get written in the tabloids about the Turner Prize, and it's called Why Your Five-Year-Old would, would Never Have Gotten Funding for This. <laughs> it's in six parts. Number one, Ai Weiwei. The white nylon builder's bag hangs from the raised arms of a forklift truck, the weave straining under the weight of the cargo. Ai Weiwei leans against the girder, his weight transferred through his palm against cold steel. In his pocket, he slides the blade of a standing knife in and out of its casing, the, blade, the point of the blade pressing into his fingertip. The blade slices through the underside of the bag in one smooth motion from his left to your left, sending Cadbury's mini-eggs bouncing all over the fucking shop. <laughs> the noise, sort of a clacking, hissing shit of a noise, fills the Tate Turbine Hall. Ai Weiwei looks, turns to look at the other 563 bags full of confectionery eggs. That <laughs> fucking teacher. <laughs> Number two, Tracy Emmett. 9.43. Tracy's arm extended fully, allowed the silver cap Victorian cane to fall on what she assumed to be the head end of the stained duvet. It seemed such a good idea, so honest and real. What better way to have the bed seam slept in than to have someone sleep in it? Early on, countless interns and artists jumped at the chance to leave their mark on this exciting work. A couple of times during the 99 Turner Pride exhibition, the press had nearly caught on, but how could she now refuse a retrospective? <laughs> Tracy could no longer remember whose idea it was to bribe London's homeless to get in the bed. And what good would it do anyway? But getting people in at night was always easy. Getting them out in the again before the public were allowed access was proving problematic. It was going to be a very long two months. <laughs> Number three, Doris Salcedo. 16 months after Doris Salcedo's shibboleth was filled in, the inquiry into the missing children had begun. The order to dig was given shortly after. Three builders arrived with those long spray paint cans that looked like they should be dispensing whipped cream and not paint. They marked soft yellow lines along the still visible traces of the crack in the polished concrete floor. The three men dragged in the heavy cutting plant while the artist and a small group of directors and trustees looked on. The generator made a right racket as it started and puked exhaust fumes high into the turbine hall. The diamond-embedded diamond cutting disc screamed against shining concrete. Whilst barely audible above the wail, Doris cried out, Stop. I know what happened to them. I've always known. <laughs> <coughs> Number four, Martin Creed. Martin flicked the light switch. On, off, on, off, <laughs> on, off, 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 off, <laughs> on, off, on, off, on, off, on, off, on, off, 
off, on, off, on, off, on, off, on, off. My. Yeah? <laughs> Have you made a decision yet? <laughs> <laughs> on, off, on, off, on, off, on, off, on, off. On off, 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 on off. On off, on off, on off, on off, on off, on off, on off. Mine, we're about to open. On off, 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 on off. On, off, 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 on, off. Martin, everyone's here now, you just have to carry on. Number five, Rachel Whitehead. Like ants crawling through sugar cubes, you know, like how we all look like ants when viewed from a distance. Rachel, are you sure you want to describe members of the public as ants? Everyone in this city is already under enough pressure because of the lack of space. They probably already feel like they're crawling over each other. They're fucking ants, right? Stupid fucking ants. The Tate curatorial team nervously tried to flatten the creases that suddenly appear in their shirts. <laughs> Rachel, can't we just tell people the boxes represent the ghosts, the ghosts of interior spaces like we did with a house, like we do with all of your work? <laughs> <laughs> Number six, last one, Damien Hurst. Flatten its snout and bang a load of teeth in it, Hurst shouted at his terrified assistant, still furious at this cock-up. Incandescent with rage, he was fucking livid. How could they have been so stupid? It was, of course, so easy now to claim he should have checked their credentials, but they said they were fishermen. You wouldn't expect to have to double check that your butcher knew the difference between a sheep and a pig, he shouted over and over and over. He'd worked hard to cultivate his edgy reputation, but the public just wouldn't stand for this. There are some animals you just can't pickle. <laughs> <laughs> the activists would do their fucking nut if they found out. Who doesn't know the difference between a shark and a bleeding dolphin? <laughs> Bung in a tank, hurts <laughs> Young Jack dropped the scalpel. And there was one you forgot. Andy Warhol was an ass. His most valuable paintings are those flecked with blood and punctured with bullet holes when he was shot in the ass. I don't know much about art but I know what I like. <laughs> <laughs> okay, big hand please for everyone from Luna Poetry!